idea of talking about fashion branding today for this episode. And, but I think that's just a part of it. Because honestly, with my research tapping into fashion branding and social media, it's, I, I get often get a double whammy of like, Ew, why? Well, you see the suggestion everywhere that you should be frolicking in the lights and the shopping and all of that. Or the holding the camera up to your everywhere. face and, you know, standing in, on your no own. It. Standing on your own in front of a crowd doing a selfie. <laughs> like, or having, like, your poor boyfriend or your, uh, your friend play a photographer while you pose in front of, like, a camera phone for, like, 15 minutes, faking how you're going to walk across the street with your clutch bag held a certain way and your hair blowing in the winds. There's just so many ick factors to fashion branding and social media that, um, especially at Christmas time, it just feels wrong to talk about it, but it feels pretty right to hate it. But we're analyzing it, so... Yeah. And it's fine. The goal was to analyze it um, using the theoretical tools, the theories that we've been developing through the podcast. So it's gonna, it involves identity and mediatization, narrative, even we can even bring in a bit of actor network theory. Um, a bit. That's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. That, I well, mean, that, for me, anyways. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the angle that we're approaching it from. And, I mean, yeah, as a subject, we can beat it up. Because, honestly, there's a lot to hate about it, and justifiably so. I spent probably about a day reading about fashion and the state of the fashion industry right now. As, you know, because it's... 2019 we're about to wrap up another decade and where fashion is now and where the consumption of fashion is now is very different from what it was 10 years ago especially because of the influence of technology and social media it's just been transformed and the planet and an understanding of the condition of the planet is so different today from where it was 10 years ago especially by mainstream um, audiences the average everyday person just our understanding of things has changed so much. Um, so there's, there is room to hate it. And I mean, and, but there's also room to enjoy it. I'm just being upfront with how I'm feeling about the subject as, you know, Christmas shopping just has invaded the area where we live. Um, so Rick, I like to start with your take on things because they're going to be a bit different from mine. What was the central question for this week? Well, the thing I started with for the topic was uh, what role does branding, does fashion branding have in culture? That's the question, and that's what I took and where I began and right. how I shifted to understanding the overall. Oh, okay, so describe to me how you started. Before you shifted to anything else? I don't know, because if you're asking that question, I could take an hour talking about the answer and what I think without looking anywhere. and without It's a looking. really broad well, question. Well, yeah, and everybody will have, will have an answer for you. But I think <laughs> right that's there. what makes it interesting, because you have to formulate a response. Yeah, so I mean, I was like, oh, fashion branding controls most of everything. Even when you think you're outside of that influence, you're not. It made me think of the Devil Wars Prada when she was like, 
I don't like fashion. <laughs> and she told it was her cerulean exactly. blue, wasn't it? Yeah, and she was like, "That's the same." It's like, no, this blue is. She went over the life of the blue and how associated with particular names of designers. Yeah, and how the blue sweater, the cerulean blue sweater that she was now wearing, has been, you know, she it made its way to her after a few seasons. And she was still being affected by fashion, no matter what she thinks. Right. So it's hard. You. It's hard to be outside of fashion. Yeah. And then I thought, well, people create fashion connections to their culture. So for me, for example, I know the fashion culture of Mexico, or at least the traditional sense. And when I visit, I see ads that brands are using and building around, and those are. Those are just very prevalent. So I was, I was thinking, you know, am I seeing fashion branding from this side or from that side? And I kind of just shook it. I really just shook it off, and I started thinking about some of the topics that. But wait, one second. What do these ads in Mexico look like? It's just like having the mariachi, or the for- folklore kind of dress, the traditional sense. Like you have tapatio is a hot sauce and the guy is wearing the mariachi hat and he's oh, dancing so this with isn't a girl. like fashion well, advertisement I mean, in 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 certain senses they do for fashion advertising like fashion advertising in Mexico uses the Mexican culture and how the Mexican culture is used to i guess inspire fashion advertisers so that made me think, so that made me think of actor network theory. So, so this fashion, is the shift yeah, that you... the, the shift happened when I was thinking about that. Right. And so, I mean, fashion branding and culture feed each other. And like I said, it reminded me of actor network theory and how everyone or everything that is part of a network is important and affects each other. So, you can say in a network, fashion branding and culture only exist because there's a human there to consume them. Right. And there are other humans in fashion branding that try to control and create that. But the way culture ebbs and flows has power of affecting fashion branding and vice versa. So Definitely. It really, it's all connected and goes back to the thing you were saying that it's just so broad. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so broad and really everything that we've talked about can further be used to break down an actor in a network and analyze that so you have identity and understanding that for a human and you have mass media as an actor as well which can go under or with fashion branding or you know the same with mediatization and fashion ethics and narrative theory it it's all to me devices to break down actors in the network in order to further analyze and understand those actors exactly. and networks of which they're a part of. So describing fashion branding using actor network theory, what would that network look like? like how do you get involved in it, enrolled in it, and then how does it play out? Because you have brands, you have the marketing that those brands do. Yeah, that's all about creating a network. I mean, that's what marketing is for. 
to build that network. So what other actors are under... Okay, so just thinking about how we uh, how we come across brands, right? So let's say Moschino, for example. Um, it's a nice, vibrant brand. It has like some pop culture relevance because you see pop stars wearing it, Katy Perry, Madonna. Um, so say you're looking through Instagram, you're looking through your Instagram feed, and it's the Met Gala. It's the night of the Met Gala. And you see Madonna getting dressed. And she's putting on her clothes, and she's tagged Moschino as the brand that she's going to wear, right? And so, I mean, you may or you may not recognize the, the dress that she's going to wear as being Moschino. I mean, maybe. Or, like... But you might recognize a design element from it, whether it's like a pop culture reference or something. So something's going to trigger, oh, I recognize this. It's a Moschino. And then, do you then like do a search for Moschino through an, in the Instagram search, right? And then you start scrolling through all the results that pop up. And that was Madonna using Moschino, and then as soon as you interpret it as something that you were interested in that you wanted to follow up on, then you initiated a search. So you produced an interpretation from seeing Moschino, and you did a search. So now you're actively looking for Moschino, right? Isn't that just one leg of fashion branding, though? Yeah, that's what we're... The promotion where stars wear it, and then that's how it... That's one way to trickle down to the public, you know, aside from the straight-up ad in a magazine or a bus. No, exactly. And, you know, the network is basically anything you want to frame to study. So you could look at, well, what is the fashion brand, like, the brand personality, Right. So then you could say, okay, I want to study that. Let's describe that network. You have the logo, you have um, the typeface that's involved in the logo, maybe a shape. And then that's deployed out through different forms of media. You might see a, um, a commercial. And so, and so you might see an ad. And then, you know, you might be walking down Bond Street and then you see like a particular logo in the window or you see like the clothing in the window and you recognize it like, oh, yeah, that's this fashion brand. So there's the window display, there's the advertising um, and marketing kind of coordinates all of that so that it can come together and the people who can buy it are the people who find it relevant and they, it activates them in, towards a purchase. Well, at least that's what the the markers are hoping for. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, fashion branding is really broad. Even that, I mean, it's just infinite, all of the different ways that you can frame, like, a network, right? So, like, describe to me how, you know, living where we do, the street that we do, the H&M network, that fashion brand might become relevant to you. Like, what are the different ways that you become involved in it and it becomes relevant and you perform yourself as, like, an H&M consumer? 
Early on, it used to become really relevant because it was new, so it didn't really matter what it was doing, but now the biggest thing that gets my attention from H&M is when they do collaborations. And how do you find out about the collaboration? Well, I mean, you... I don't know how you would initially find out if you don't know at all. I, I'm already in the pattern. No, and that's so why I'm trying I, I to get you to describe your pattern. Around November, something is going to come out for their collaboration. And I how? know... Through what? Well, where I've been getting the announcements are Instagram. Okay. In the last few years, you find out a few months before, oh, H&M is going to collaborate with Moschino or with Giambattista Bali or whoever. Right. And then a few months later, you start seeing the images coming out or articles on you know on my Apple News feed show that you know this is coming this is what it's starting to look like and then prices start coming out and a lot of it comes out through Instagram does and the, I mean do the pricing does the pricing come out through Instagram no the pricing it shows up on Instagram when people share it but mainly it, it shows up on fashion blogs or you know vogue.com or different fashion magazine blogs essentially and really that's where a lot of the announcements happen as well and I do come across them there right. as well so for for the last few years it's been Instagram but this this year's collaboration I came across the campaigns while I was uh, you know the fashion spot searching for images right. or things to show on IA okay so. So, when you saw the images, do you remember what your first reactions were? Well, the first image I saw was... I, I can't remember his name, but he was... He's in Shameless. He's a redhead. And he played Joker in in that uh, TV show with called Gotham. Okay. So... Monaghan, something Monaghan, but I know the actor, and when I saw them, it was recognizable right away what he was doing or what he, why he was in in that, because it's a little more like I don't know. I mean, I I didn't like the ads. <laughs> I liked one picture of the ads, and and okay. it was the only one that he was in, and I thought the ads were. I don't know, it was kind of trying to rip off the, the Balmain aura. Oh, really? Uh, so, what are, the, what, are, what are the clothes like? Well, the clothes were very, very feminine, like... And he plays frosty. the gay character, right? Yeah. And Shameless. Okay, so it's uh, he's already kind of... His face is associated with at least um, a fluid sexuality because yeah. of the character and, that he and plays. And he's young. So a lot of the people in the campaign were young, and it was kind of like, um, you know, a lot of these pieces could go f- for men and women. Right. And the men's pieces were very unlike what men regularly wear, the normal, because uh, some of the pieces had roses and puma prints, and they were very feminine. So we're not talking about, like, uniform, minimalism, no, or anything like that? No, but the setting where the campaign was happening was very Balmain. 
mean, it was like a grand palace oh, okay. and very baroque and I'm, you might not agree if you looked at these pictures, okay. but... Yeah, no, so... The clothes didn't fit there. So how soon did you associate the H&M collaboration with the image that you just saw? Which, what did you see first? Do you remember Do you, do you remember seeing it as an H&M collaboration image? Or did you see, like, the, the feminine style clothing and a recognizable star first? Do you know? I saw the headline. And I clicked on the headline. Okay. The headline was H&M collaboration. And it resonated with you because you had an, you've had an interest in these in the yeah, past. Yeah, and I want to see because I've liked the, some of the campaigns before. I love the Versace collaboration. And we bought some of it that's come out. Yeah, and I even like the Balmain collaboration where they were on the subway. <laughs> yeah. So we, there have been collaborations where we've, you know, gone and gotten some of the stuff and... Others have kind of flown by. I mean, I don't think the Kenzo collaboration ads were very noteworthy, but we like Kenzo, and, you know, the collection wasn't that, all that. But anyways, it's it's hit or miss. Okay, so now, um, I, don't, I don't remember the last time you mentioned this campaign for this H&M collaboration. What, did you, what have you done since you found those images? Well, I posted them on the website. So you put them on IA. But I did not put them on Instagram because I was not excited enough to... I didn't like them enough. Right. To put them on Instagram. And I specifically did... I don't know. I don't know. I, um, yeah, I, I don't even want to mention the person's name, but she's a model. And I don't like her. And I kind of avoid anything that she's in. Oh, okay. So she was in that campaign as well. <laughs> Ah, okay. Is like she her. controversial? I mean, because I have no idea who you're talking no, about. No, I mean, yeah, her family is, but there were other there were other people that were in that campaign. I know one of the girls was in a campaign for Stella McCartney and Lourdes, Madonna's daughter, was in it. Yeah, and it was about you know female empowerment and moving forward. But She's this like, this collaboration is not about female empowerment. No, but they were kind of. Getting on that car and getting her in it because she represents that new Teen Vogue type of militant and empowered, like a fresh yeah. kind of like youthful empowerment. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's safe to say that your enrollment into let's just call that collaboration a network. Your enrollment into that network is not one that you've been performing. And it's like been dwindling. Reconstitu- reconstituting. It's been dwindling. There was a time where I was like really excited and almost in an obsessed sort of way. Yeah. What? Well, I mean, for like this specific one, this specific network about this latest collaboration, you just you're not that interested in strengthening it. You're not that interested in just continuing to perform yourself into it. Like recognize me as a part of this network because I'm going to share the images, or I'm going to say on social media that you're excited about purchasing it and that you can't wait no. to wait in line. You just kind of it's kind of faded, right? But yeah. so you can see that. If you were just going to describe fashion branding, all the ways that it tries to make yourself make itself relevant to you, through the stars that it chooses, the style of photography, um, 
maybe associations with what they've done in the past, so you have some like cohesiveness across time. And all of this plays into fashion branding. And it's like hooks and invitations for your imagination to involve yourself. But it didn't so much speak to you. And now it's just kind and of And I didn't faded. involve myself. <laughs> you to didn't the get point that? where the, the brand collaboration was released and we didn't even notice. So it's already happened and faded. Yeah, we didn't even... Usually, even if we are not that interested, we go by just to look at the things. Right. Sometimes it's not. like pure hype factor that gets you curious about something. Yeah. But I don't even know if there's that much hype factor around it yeah I, I don't I don't think so but it I don't know I, I didn't read anything about it I didn't read any fights that happened at the store even right. even the party that they have beforehand where pe- they invite people right to preview the collection none of it none, none of the influencers or whatever it is you call them posted about it or I missed it. I missed that train completely. So it could have been that we were just busy or I don't know. Do you think it was intentional? Is there, is there a possibility that it was intentional? Because I think that's something that we saw with Versace and it's definitely something that we saw with Balmain and almost picked up on with Kinzo is that once a brand takes their product to H&M and it turns into this hype flash that the brand kind of stumbles after a bit. It's almost like depleted and you're like, oh, okay, we've kind of been through this now. And if you can do it in a quieter way, I don't know, because that you don't that get that hype flash. Sales. I don't think that H and M would want that, and I don't think that H and M would want to work with a brand that would be seemingly ashamed. Yeah, <laughs> or that would think it's gonna hurt them to work with them so I mean I can see Jean Battista Valley is a smaller brand I mean they're a big luxury brand but in the sense of Versace it's not- they're a smaller brand they're smaller they're not as known so some of these brands it's an opportunity to get their designs into a wider audience yeah, if that's that's applying actor network theory to branding. I mean, and again, you can look at it in all kinds of ways. You could look at the supply chain. You could look at the retail experience. But we kind of approached it from like a social media aspect, which you know H and M collaborations kind of rely on that, um, or at least that's how we find out about it. And it becomes it's affordable fashion, then because it's associated with like a, a, a more like established, um, credible brand, oftentimes luxury, then people like to share it, and it becomes very much a social media moment. But this time, it it didn't really speak to you, and you didn't hear a lot of hype around it, and, you know, we don't know why. It could be, like, a, a intention peak and valley kind of experience. Like, not everything is going to be Versace and Bumman, but, you know. Anyway, that's describing a, a fashion brand through actor network theory. Yeah, and I, it would be interesting to see it through, because understanding it as a you're performing yourself into it. Right. What gets you excited enough to perform yourself into it? And it'd be interesting to see that applied to politics, because how many people were excited enough to perform themselves into Obama's hope campaign and right. to yeah. push that into like 
kind of live it through their platforms because all of those are free ads. Like, who's who's the candidate who's going to get you to be that excited that you want to perform yourself into, you know, that you want to be in it? Right. Want to be there? And I mean, you you hear about that with like the black women voters and um, you know Kamala Harris, and then um, oh Joe Biden. Yeah, um, and how he has this resonance, and I mean, in the same way that the redheaded actor from Shameless might have a resonance for you, whereas like the particular female model didn't, and. I mean, it's almost like the same thing. It's like it, it has to resonate with you, and you're, they're marketing um, political candidates the same way they would market um, a fashion collaboration. Yeah. Not exactly the same way, but it's that connection has to make your imagination has to interpret it as something that's relevant to you, and that you're going to get something out of it. And in both cases, am I talking too much? No, it makes sense. In both cases, you're having to somewhat project yourself into the future a bit. Like, will I look good in this? Will this candidate do anything for me? And is it the best choice that I can make right now? Is like, is it too expensive? Or, oh, is there, does this candidate drop the ball when it comes to ethnic minorities? And it's like, but yeah. And you either like go out and buy it or you know you vote for it or you don't yeah that's true and you're voting with your dollars <laughs> in that case in the other case anyways yeah I mean I would hate to think of all of the different resonances that Trump created with his supporters like his diehard Trump MAGA people that's I mean I would just think that's really dark and <laughs> I mean, it's really dark. Um, but, again, everybody has a different level of commitment to that network. And some people might have just voted for him because it was what they saw as the best alternative. One out of two choices. Very big categories, A or B. But that's why primary season is really interesting, too. Because there aren't a lot of broad categories yet. In fact, there are way too many categories for the Democratic field right now. And it's not just A or B. Yeah, I mean, it all... It, it can all live under actor network theory. I like to look at this role of imagination. Apo Durai was a, um, a theorist who talked about imagination as being performative. And at actor network theory... It, you know, it describes that performance where you perform yourself into a narrative, into a network. So how? Well, it's through, it requires some imagination. And imagination, of course, is um, linked to your background, your experience, your understanding of the world, your emotion, your thoughts. All of it comes together in this cauldron of imagination and what's value to them and what's meaning and it goes into their understandings of themselves it, it plays into their identity and that's that activation of imagination what your imagination does with what you just consumed whether it was a fashion ad or you're looking at a, a rack of clothing or you're watching a commercial what your imagination does performs you into a network around that brand or it doesn't 
it, it either appeals to you and it resonates or it doesn't. Yeah. And it is that, it's that area and that role of imagination as a performative social act that for me is like the key to appreciating and finding anything interesting around branding. Well, even if you're not looking to perform yourself, you're going to perform something. If you're so sick of all of these brands or everything around you telling you or influencing you, then you can take yourself out of that. But if you take yourself out of that and go to the sticks or to nature, are you still not performing something anyways by the nature that's around you? Do they become actors? They, yeah, the yeah. they become actors anyways. and you're just not, you're not investing your resources into, um, an industry brand. I mean, you're investing your resources into, into rabbit, which is something good to eat. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, a, I mean, if you're living so out the sticks, still has, you know, I mean, like you're not going to eat a possum before you eat a rabbit, for example. Really? So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, possums are ugly looking. Sorry, I know they're like majestic and stuff, and they can carry tons of babies, but... Are they majestic? I don't know. I don't want to be mean to animals, but they're kind of weird looking and not very tasty looking. Not that I want to eat rabbits either. Give me chicken. But if I was to have to choose between a rabbit and a possum, I'd probably go for the rabbit. (laughs) Yeah, I think rabbits seem to be cleaner. I mean, I just have, like... Yeah, I mean, if you're out in the wild, it's like, does that translate to, like... Well, I have... I don't want to have anything to do with that brand, but I like that brand, and everybody's wearing that brand. That's the brand I'm seeing everywhere. So, it must be a trend. So, is that a trend in the natural kingdom as well, where you're like, there's a tons of rabbits around here, I should have one of those. I don't see any skunks or possums, (laughs) so maybe not those. Yeah, and I mean, you might hear like the sounds of honking and everything because, like we said, um, Oxford Street is like really busy right now. The interesting thing, Oxford Street is nothing but clothing stores mostly. Why does it pick up during Christmas time? Are people buying fashion brands for gifts? Well, it's gifts. Everybody has to buy something. Can you for really somebody. go into Topshop and buy a gift for somebody? People do, and people shop for themselves. They want to go to a Christmas party. They want to go to a trip. They need to, they need to go visit family, and they want to look good, or they just want to. I don't know. People feel like the whole atmosphere makes you feel like, oh, I want to be in it, and I want to go buy something and have fun, because that's the only way you can have fun. Apparently, sometimes during the holidays, is by <laughs> buying something and eating something. It's like no rules. Let's go. <laughs> you, you, I think it's kind of required that you bend your rules and gifting something to yourself. Season, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the busiest street in Europe for shopping is gonna be busy. But th- it's Christmas. not just shopping; it's almost specifically clothes shopping. I mean, there are some jewelry stores. There are one or two like did, um, tech stores, a camera shop here or there. I don't know if I don't know if there are any bookstores left on Oxford Street. So it's mainly clothing. And to me, I mean, yeah, you could buy somebody like a luxury item that will like stand the test of time or something. But to me, clothing as a gift just kind of sucks. That You don't give me clothing for no clothing or jewelry. 
No. Is that more about empathy? How do they know what's right for you? Or is it about control? Are they trying to tell you what's right for you? It's about control. So it's impossible for anybody to empathize with you well enough to know what you'd want to wear. No, I mean, it's not impossible. But it has to be a specific kind of person that is on the receiving end of that. That doesn't take it in a bad way. Yeah. Have you ever returned a gift? Like an article of clothing that you got and exchanged it for something else? I don't know that I have. And if I did, it was for another piece of clothing. So I don't think I have. I can't think of a time that I did that. I can think of other presents that I've exchanged, but not that. Because I haven't gotten many chances to do that. I guess. Yeah. No, I, I tend to like the gifts that I'm given. And it may, whatever I'm given, I may not wear all the time, but I will definitely, even if it's not a favorite, I, t- I tend to get gifts, clothing as gifts that I can yeah. wear at least sometimes. I don't remember ever exchanging something because I just thought it was ugly. So have we wrapped up this conversation about fashion branding? I don't know. I mean, so what role does fashion branding have in culture? It's very important, but it's not the only... It, it doesn't stand on its own. It doesn't stand outside of culture. It doesn't live on its own. No. It's... But I think it, it's, it's intertwined. The consumption of fashion branding and fashion for a long time had no conscience about destroying the planet, about how it uses resources, including human resources, and, you know, allowing and people that, to die in factories. It's being forced to, but I don't think fast enough, and I don't... I don't know that it's changing quite as much as people would like it. I'm not saying any of this to shame anybody that shops at Primark, but I don't know that that many people stop shopping there after, or I don't know that, you know, before that factory disaster happened, there weren't 20 more that we never heard about. And that's like a big scale accident that we heard about, but we don't know about all of the small accidents where somebody loses a hand or, you know, you lose one life. It's not going to matter as much as, you know, 300 or that's bad to say, but you know, in the reality of today's bringing awareness to that and bring in upping the conscience generates a social pressure. They'll go out of business because a product goes bad. They'll go out of business because the project is irrelevant. They can also go out of business because of how they run their corporate environment and how they define their corporate mission. It's going to be really hard for people to swallow that pill. Movements are, they have to be so huge for them to move forward. All right, let's wrap this up and move on to a different topic. All right, bye. And bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We put it on YouTube. And follow us on social media. We're on every platform. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're 